Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Welcome to the final episode in our Hearts of Ulin series, everyone. We get into some great discussion about this game in this episode, but first, a few announcements as usual. It has been an absolutely busy week for me this week so it's just me again uh so let's get to it first up since last episode hearts of ulin is now on kickstarter if you are excited about backing this game you can go to kickstarter.com and search for hearts of ulin or find the link in our show notes they've already blown past funding and a few stretch goals. So now is the time to see if we can get them a few more stretch goals to add even more content to this amazing game. Next, it's that time of year again. Gen Con is right around the corner, it seems. And just yesterday, event registration opened up. We happen to have a panel that we are hosting with James Tomato to help lead Amelia and myself through some character building exercises with a couple of the characters that we made on this show. If you were able to hear our Akatacon panel, you'll have an idea of what this panel will entail. And I can't wait to reveal which characters we've decided on fleshing out this time. We'll have a link to the panel in the show notes in case you'd like to get tickets, since we have plenty of tickets available for this event. And speaking of Gen Con, Amelia's game of L5R appears to be sold out as of right now. But my games of Chimera have not been posted yet. We are working to see what is going on there, but as soon as those become available, I'm sure we will let everyone know through our social media and announcements on the show here as well. There's plenty of time, so hopefully soon. And one last announcement, uh, which I am very excited about. Amelia will be back next week. We are working on recording the next episode while juggling everything else in life. But it will be really great to have her back with us again. That's not to say that our guest co-hosts weren't phenomenal. I greatly enjoyed my time chatting with both Marie Claire and Adira. Uh, but for now... Let's close out this cold open, sit back, relax, and hear a bit more about Hearts of Wulin by Lowell Francis and Agatha Chain. Enjoy.
welcome back to our discussion episode. Last time, we created a group of characters for Hearts of Wulin. This episode, we will be discussing the character creation process. We are very excited to welcome back Agatha Chang and Lowell Francis, the creators of this very game. Agatha, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself again for everyone at home? And tell us a little bit about the character you made in our last episode. Yeah, I am the co-author of Hearts of Wulin, and I'm also the co-host of Asians Represent, another podcast on the One Shot Network, where we celebrate diversity from an Asian perspective by interviewing Asian creators uh, within the analog gaming community and also running actual plays. Right now it is of masks. And the character that I created is called Xianghui. He is a monk. Uh, His his playbook is student and background is wandering monks so uh, briefly describe what he looks like um he's handsome (laughs) (laughs) this is further down on the list but it's the one i remember the most he's handsome he has a crooked smile he uh, is tanned from doing a lot of uh, work outside um he doesn't know that he's handsome and uh he also wears normal temple uh, clothes but with bells. And again, those bells are at the bottom of his clothes and also uh, on his wrists and his ankles. And this ties in with his sick... I remember this is a family-friendly podcast. Uh, So his sick (laughs) fighting style, which is called the Ten-Pointed Cage. Um, and again, the his style element associated with it is fire, so it's a very fast um, uh, style where he he dashes. No, he walks. He walks in this formation um, that's where there are ten points, and when he walks, the bells on him they will ring, and depending on how fast he goes or. Um, I suppose, uh, where the hearer is in relation to him, they, they'll be at different pitches. And because he's so fast, it seems like all the bells are ringing at once, and that creates this 10-pointed cage that traps the listener or his opponent in it and um, inflicts various amounts of damage. <laughs> and, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that that's kind of him. He's, he's pretty cheerful, um, kind of well-meaning um and he tends to like people more than he would dislike them Mm -hmm. yeah okay and lowell how about yourself can you tell us a bit more about yourself and uh your character that you created uh so uh my name is lowell francis and i'm also the co-author of hearts of wulin and uh i'm the co-host of the gauntlet podcast which is part of the sort of gauntlet a bigger network of of things that are going on. I'm kind of the RPG hangout coordinator for the whole community. I run three games a week that we record for actual play uh, on there, and uh, uh, that's that's sort of my story. I'm also a blog at Age of Ravens, which won an any back in 2017, and uh, is now part of the Gauntlet blog uh, on Wednesdays. And so my character, so. My character is Seven Century Zoo, uh, and I think his faction, I called it the Iron Prosperity Delegates. I stole that from my, my sample name list, which is great. And uh, he is a loyal playbook uh, of the official role. He used to be like a magistrate, but kind of secretly working for the emperor and, you know, hunting dissidents within the Wulin factions. But then he got betrayed 
and he's left that. He's kind of gone back to to the other factions to try and return to his regular life, but he's kind of uh, potentially uh, distrusted by some. Uh, he, uh, you know, he is as all of us are handsome, beautiful, uh, <laughs> uh, burning eyes, kind of wears formal clothes, hair tightly bound. I mentioned that he looks a little pallid. Uh, you can see that he has been sick recently. Uh, there was a, an illness or poisoning. He's still not sure that nearly killed him that he hasn't quite recovered from. Uh, his uh, fighting style is the limitless character brush. He fights with a, a large iron brush like for calligraphy or writing uh and uh it has the the sort of brush tip at the end it's heavy so he can strike with it or spin it or parry with it but he can also use it to mark an opponent should he choose to to go that route uh and that is an earth style about kind of a, a caution and focus uh, and so I have the, the magistrate move and I have a couple of others that are about hunting and, uh, people down and also about supporting other characters. And, uh, my character pretty much is certain that they are a good person really at heart, but there are certain evidence to the contrary on that. <laughs> uh, not, not least of which is I am potentially, uh, stepping out on, uh, uh, Agatha's character's sister who I'm married to, um, and uh, I have other other issues with a with a, a rival and so on. Um, How would you be doing that? I'm in love with you. I think you're the best. <laughs> Too bad. Uh, so uh, that that's who that's who Seventh Century Zoo is. Are you basically like the opposite of Andy Lau's character <laughs> in um? Oh, what is the English name of that? <gasps> the, the film we just watched. Oh, oh, uh, a House of Flying Daggers. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, that's oh cool. I hope I'm not inspired by that guy because that guy was awful. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. He's oh, what? A, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, well, I'm I'm actually good. Mm, really, mm, really. <laughs> so that's my character. That's amazing. Well, while the jury's out on that, Ryan, why don't you tell us about your character? <laughs> All right. Uh, my character refers to himself as Perfected Fist, uh, a name that he gave himself after he discovered his extraordinary powers of fighting with his fists. Um, and he is part of the self-proclaimed Society of the Smoldering Crater, um, which is a society that he makes up. <laughs> wherever he goes and tells people that it's this big thing when it's literally just him bragging about a society that doesn't really exist, but nobody really knows that. Um, and maybe he wants to build up a following based on his awesomeness. I'm not sure yet. Um, but he's unassuming. He's, uh, kind of on the smaller side. He's pretty petite. Um, and his hair is always unkempt. Um, he wears modest clothing and stuff, but he's got an unflinching gaze due to his confidence. And he's got his arms bared, uh, even though they're really scrawny and, and not muscular at all. He bears his arms because he knows that his, his arms and his fists are his greatest asset. And he believes that they are much nicer looking than they actually are. Uh, and he also has hopeful eyes. So when, when you, are talking to him casually, uh, you'll see a little bit of uh, hope for the future 
uh, in his eyes, uh, which tells of a little bit of more of a depth to him than this, like, exterior of I'm the best. Hmm. His fighting style is called Smoldering Crater, because uh, which is fire-based, because uh, when he unleashes his power, it creates an explosion uh, after he punches somebody, which leaves a smoldering crater in the ground, and the person that was there uh, probably gets knocked back. Um, I'm not sure if uh, disintegrating foes is a wuxia staple or not, um, but maybe that can happen at some point too. I don't know. Um, but yeah, he's, uh, he's just wanting to, uh, fulfill his, uh, kind of the prophecy that he thinks he is part of. So hopefully, uh, with this group of individuals that he found, uh, he can finally reach his destiny. And what about yourself, Adira? Ah, so my character is Black Petal. Uh, she is a member of the Peony Society, who I have established all have flower-related names. Um, uh, Black Petal, uh, like everyone, is smoking hot. Um, uh, she has long and flowing locks, stormy eyes, uh, a stern grin, and an intricately patterned outfit. It's a pattern of... Uh, tight and complicated and overlapping geometries that when you look closer is little made up of little stitched petals. Uh, Black Petal herself is um, uh, stoic yet flirtatious. Um, she prefers to keep her emotions pretty close to her chest, uh, but will sort of mask that by uh, sort of playing out uh, with other people. Uh, her fighting style is the Broken Mountain style, uh, where Black Petal uses a massive sledgehammer. I'm thinking, like, like multiple feet tall sledgehammer, <laughs> um, uh, which she moves around effortlessly. Uh, but uh, the style is about doing hard and deliberate and decisive movements, just slamming it down, and it's associated with the element of metal. Um Black Petal herself um, has uh, her, the prophecy that uh, says that she is supposed to be perf with perfected fist, but uh, sort of deals a lot with uh, playing around with some of 7th century zoo's emotions as well, um, and all of these different people. Uh, she is a lot of fun, I feel like. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. All right. Well, now that we know who we made, let's go ahead and dive right into a segment we are calling D20 for your thoughts. D20 for your thoughts. Okay. So in this segment, uh, we want to talk to our guests about their thoughts on the character creation process and how it feels in this system compared to others. But first, uh, we really want to find out how both of you got into role-playing games in the first place. Lol. Who wants to start? I yeah. assume you will have a longer so, story than me. Yeah, unfortunately I do. Um, so <laughs> this is going to be one of those grognardy things, and I'm going to apologize ahead of time. You don't need um, to apologize? So my sister is Kat Rambo, a writer who is actually president of the Science Fiction Writers of America, um, SFWA. And back in 1975... Uh, my dad came back from Ann Arbor, Michigan with a copy of the original D&D box set and mm. gave it to my sister for Christmas. And a couple months later, she was like, you got to try this game. And she showed me the game because she's five years older than me. And uh, I made up a Hobbit because I liked Hobbits. 
and uh, I killed a giant rat. And she said, you going to cut the rat open to see if there's anything in it? And I was like, yes, yes. And there was, and that was all, all it, it was a gem inside. And that was, <laughs> I wanted to play this game all the time then. And I think I've pretty much been playing RPGs constantly with only a couple of, uh, a break for grad school. And that is it. Uh, I've, I've been playing ever since and running uh, since I was in grade school and, and I love it. And, uh, so that's, that's, that's how I've rolled up into this. My wife married me because I'm a good GM, um, as she's <laughs> told people. And that's how that works. <laughs> that's awesome. Wow. Um, I don't have a D and D story. No, actually I do. I do. Oh, all right. Um, well, I, uh, I, I think the first time that I remember I started playing, uh, yeah, my first real playing game was Dungeons and Dragons, Fourth Ed. No, was it Fourth Ed? I don't remember anymore. Um, it was with um, a couple of people from a church that I was going to, and it was fun. Um, I didn't understand what was going on, and the second time I went to play with them, they were like, "Uh, yeah, that campaign ended, so now we're playing Pathfinder, <laughs> and uh, we have a party, so you get to play a gnome bard." Um, and I was like, question mark, question mark. Uh, I, I didn't understand what was actually going on throughout the whole session. They were talking a lot about line of sight, which is what I recall from. This is the only thing that I understand about Pathfinder, which is line of sight. It's important. Apparently. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I feel like at that point I was like, there's something in here that I really enjoy. I'm I, I think I'm going to keep looking. And so I went to play with, uh, I, I Googled role-playing game Toronto <laughs> because this is where I live. And then I found the Toronto area gamers, which is run by Kate Bullock, Rachel Shelke and Rob Dibbled. It was at that point. And then I played one of my first games with, was with Kate and where she was running this, like, um, it, it was a tarot card based system that I don't remember the name of anymore. And it was really hectic and we all almost died. And I was like, this is so scary. I'm so scared of Kate as a, <laughs> as a GM, but I love it. <laughs> and then I think I just didn't, I never looked back since then. It, this was around three or four years ago. Okay. And then, yeah, I, I, most of my role playing um, has actually been with a gauntlet. I joined it around a year ago and, um, and I was like, oh, I love it. And that's where I got all my experience, realistically speaking. Oh, very cool. All right. Can you tell us then about your personal processes uh, for picking and creating characters in any role-playing game system? Ooh, that's a great question. I'm very curious question. about your your process, Lowell. So uh, there, uh, there are two factors that I have in this. One is that I look and I see at the table whether there's anybody who looks like they are going to take charge. Like if there's a player who looks like they are going to be taking charge and stuff, then uh, I, I'm like, great. And then I love making a support character and I will make a support character. However, if it's clear to me that no one is going to take charge, like they're all going to be wishy-washy, then I will make a character who's going to take charge because I want to get things moving. Mm -hmm. um, so that's sort of my first uh sort of decision-making thing about what's going on. And that's usually when we get to the process, I'm like, okay, what is everybody going to play? And they're all like, oh, I was going to do this or this. And if that lasts for more than 10 minutes, then I know we've kind of got a, a maybe less less directed group. Mm -hmm. um, but I love playing support. Uh, but the other thing I do is 
I try to look back at the last character that I that I made, and whatever I make with this new character should be the opposite of something from the last character. Should be should be contradictory. Like the so the last Hearts of Wulin character I made was a younger sibling, very loyal, very gentle, very kind of naive about the world and and so on. So I wanted a character that was much more world weary and and uh uh not uh cynical about things. So mm-hmm. that was my kind of flip on that. And th- I think those are the two things I really think about. Um oh and uh, if there's a system for magic uh, with like spells and things like that, yeah, I avoid that like the like a hot potato. Do not do not do crunchy magic systems. Uh huh. So stay yeah, away ours, from ours, mag- ours magic. It was hard, yeah. um, but but I, I did that. But uh, otherwise, I try to do uh, characters that are pretty simple. That's awesome. How about yourself, Agatha? Yeah, I think for me as well. If it's a a crunchier system and by crunchy i i'm definitely speaking from a very uh story game perspective so anything that is so for example for me dnd is pretty crunchy uh then mm-hmm. i will i will ask someone what's the easiest thing to play and they'll usually say what warrior slash fighter slash something like that and i'll say okay tell me i'll, I'll pick a big weapon um so that's <laughs> That's my um, usual go-to for that. I also I don't understand magic. I, I don't. I was not steeped in that kind of system, um, so I stay away as well. And then for other stuff, I lol. I really like what you said about um, going against, like not against, it, but yeah, it's choosing something that is pretty far from the last character you played. And I think. I do the same without realizing. Uh, for me, a lot of times when I'm playing these games, I'm engaging with genres that I'm not super familiar with, even like high fantasy and stuff like that. Like a lot of times, I'm, I don't know, I did, like Lord of the Rings is kind of a touchstone, but that's it. So I, I like reading through the playbooks and then seeing an aspect of it that I can engage with. And it's usually some kind of like, I think if through reading the moves and the backgrounds, I, I think I can empathize with this character, uh, then, then I, I will, I, I, it's hard to describe like what really stands out sometimes. So like even, yeah, but it's usually if I can empathize and I, I really like playing characters that have a very, or I have a tendency of playing characters that have the hold to very strong beliefs that are very problematic, but they, mm. and they're some, sometimes they're very harmful to the, to the character uh, themselves, but they believe it and they don't think it's wrong. And, oh, yeah. and it's interesting because every single time I play those kind of characters, uh, everyone else has just like, no one else has pointed that problem out to the characters <laughs> I play. No one has been like, you know, that, for example, in this Monster Hearts game, you know that you're in like an abusive relationship, right? Like this is terrible. But no, everyone's got their own problems. Ain't nobody <laughs> gotta deal with mine. Yep. <laughs> and so that's I think that's sometimes what I like to gravitate towards. I also really like playing sassy teenage girls. That's <laughs> just so if I have an option of doing that and I haven't done that in a while, I will default to that. Awesome. So uh how do we think about character creation in this game stacking up to other systems that we've played? This will be a question for all of us. Uh, it's a PBTA style playbook approach. So mm-hmm. it's very much on that. And we've tried to break it down into pretty easily digestible chunks. Um, 
I try to avoid having to mix and match playbooks, which is something that can sometimes get confusing for me. I try to keep it tight. I mean, uh, because I run a lot, everything for me is about how do I keep it simple when we go mm-hmm. to do it. I want, I want to be able to sit down because I, I run two and a half, three hours online. That's yeah. my session. So I want to get character creation done in at most an hour and 15 minutes. I want that us to sense. do that, get it done. We take our break. We come back. Mm-hmm. And I can do that. And I can do that online. I can do that at the table. Um, and I think our our setup, our approach is doable within that time limit with explanations mm-hmm. and safety tools and all of that. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, I know the game that I'm working on, also PBTA, takes about an hour and a half for character and world building mm-hmm. uh, creation. And uh, so that, that seems to, to line up really well with most convention, like one-shot type spaces. Yeah, yeah. Uh, three to four hour games. Um, I, I liked uh, the uh, entanglement system in this a lot. Um, most PBTA games, like every playbook says, this is your bond, fill it in. And you don't really get a choice of what type of bond you want because it's geared towards that particular playbook, uh, which is, which is fine, but it's really cool that here, uh, you've got a few suggestions for the playbook that you choose, but also like, if those don't work for you, you got this list. And there's going to be something in there that really will catch your eye and uh, kind of drive your character story forward uh, in ways that uh, most other PBT games that I've played uh, haven't really uh, done in that way. There's that really hard design space choice between giving players too much freedom and overwhelming them. That that is, it's still finding that. You know, yeah. trying to find that sweet spot. Um, but I definitely want to give people more, more choice, uh, uh, about what they want to do because I've looked at, at like sometimes at masks or other games and I'm like, Ugh, none of these really work or I'm going to have to really fiddle around mm-hmm. with how this is to get it to work to what I'm thinking. Right. I think that, um, you guys really accomplished the freedom not feeling like there's ever like a wrong choice very mm-hmm. well. Like, there are a bunch of different moves and all the different stats and things like that, that sometimes even in like a Powered by the Apocalypse story game sort of thing, it can feel like, oh, playing a character like this that doesn't have that move, that's a wrong choice to make. Mm -hmm. But uh, it doesn't feel like that with this. Like, since you're doing the approach-based stats, everything's really fluid in there that it's like, oh, just sort of what do I want to do? This is sort of how I want to deal with this that's this is the right choice then because it's the choice i want to make um that you that this system seems to accomplish that very well because freedom can sometimes be limiting when you're like wait a second but what is like the right choice Mm. Um, it's a design choice that cuts out a bunch of moves though it's it's interesting because it cuts out the roll this instead of this moves Mm -hmm. uh it and the way we've set up study cuts out add these questions on moves um, and I, and it also cuts out any add plus one to this stat, you know, advance or moves. So there, there's, it, it, it forces us to be, you know, creative about what we do have there. Yeah, for sure. I, I really like, um, all the different moves that you have in the playbooks. And when I was thinking of my, uh, character concept, I was basing it off of the very general, like, this is kind of what a prodigy is. 
And then I was pleased when I saw the moves that lined up perfectly with exactly what I was kind of going for for my character. Uh, so I thought that was really cool. Yeah, and a lot of these moves, um, they just... I mean, some of these, I think the basic moves, you can see, oh yeah, like these are taken uh, from other PBTA games, uh, which they would have to be. For example, like again, the study move, it's just kind of one of those basic things that needs to happen. Though with a special uh, uh, exception, which is that uh, instead of just asking questions when you roll, uh, you can actually spend the hold that you generate from your roll to um, make a statement about the scene and that statement or, or declare a detail if you will and that will become fact um, oh cool yeah. yeah and this is a way for the gm to put the narrative reins uh in fully into the player's hands and mm -hmm. it's with really amazing results that i've encountered mm -hmm. whenever a player chooses to use that you're like oh snap yeah. There we go. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, doesn't Monster or not Monster Monster of the Week um, have like a clue gathering mechanism where it puts it fully in the player's agency to say, "Here's a clue, and you tell me what it is, and we'll say yes, that's that's a clue for." Yeah, I think I think there's something similar to that. It it's very much in the rather than asking the question, you're asking the question and then answering it. Yeah. Uh, um, but we still have the, the, the release valve that the player can ask the question of the GM if they don't want to. Yeah. I, I really love uh, having the option of putting full player agency into the scenes, especially in these Powered by the Apocalypse games where everything's a back and forth uh, and collaborative conversation. Yeah, uh, definitely on the collaborative, the creating your own narrative or the, the direction that you wanted the story to go in. Mm -hmm. uh, there there have been a lot of times when yeah players have, they just, oh, it's been really, I feel like, Lo, do you want to give an example of it? Of a, of a study move that's yeah, gone? Yeah, where they declared a detail. Because I think it's the narrative shift that's very important. Like, you can say, oh, I happen to have this weapon in my hand. That's not what we're talking about uh, for for this game, which is a little um, that I want to emphasize. Uh, like, I remember in, in the big, long game, there was a section where uh, one of the players, they were, did a study move, and... They're essentially they said, I think I see the same birthmark that I have on this named agent of the villain. And I think I realized that, in fact, they are a long lost relative of me. Oh. And and they played that out and it changed everything. Wow. It changed everything. And that's the kind of thing that happens in these movies mm -hmm. and that I, that people can do at the table. It, it feels like it's one of the, my sort of favorite parts of like fate that you've mm -hmm. pulled into Powered by the Apocalypse through like spending fate points and having compels and things like that, mm -hmm. that doing the study move to declare these aspects yeah. reminds me a lot of that. And I love that. Mm -hmm. I love the, it's interesting as we're going over the like genre tropes of Wusha and whatnot, uh, a lot of it feels like it's hitting the same sort of uh, points as like uh, Passion de las Passiones hits. It yes. is. It, it, it is action melodrama like Passion and like Worldwide Wrestling. Uh, all yeah. of those are about uh, action and then we go to melodrama and then action and then melodrama. So, mm -hmm. yeah. I love that so much. Okay. So how do the mechanics of character creation then reinforce the feel of Hearts of Woodland. 
this is a little abstract of a question sometimes, uh, but when you're you're picking your stats, you're picking your uh, abilities, your moves, um, is there anything with that the process of creating your characters that reinforces how the game is supposed to feel? I felt like I was like really immediately pulled in seeing the elements on the sheet and seeing like that it was prominently like fighting style yeah. and just the the like space that was taking up and the order that these different things drawn through it was like oh it's it's not like like the moves were like cool and interesting and fun but they didn't seem nearly as important as like how my character interacts with the world and like how they are relating to the other characters and their like relationships to them. Mm -hmm. Uh, The, the openness and fuzziness of players having to describe their own style, like, okay, you name your style and you name what weapon it is. And you know, you name the element and you kind of think about what it looks like. And we're not giving you any mechanics for that. Um, Because I want to prime them for the fact that when we get to combat, tell me what your combat looks like. Tell mm-hmm. me what your style looks like, um, because that's the only thing that matters. Yeah, uh, I want them to to be ready for that. And I think that that part of character creation also you go, oh wait, there aren't any like fighting moves mm-hmm. uh, in this, and I think that that that's something there. Um, Agatha, do you want to talk about the, how the entanglements part works? With that. Yeah, yeah. I've been talking about this uh, a lot about the again about the. The way that entanglements set tone because first of all the entanglements you choose from the list you don't create them yourself and so you see on the you take inspiration from all these ones that you're going to potentially pick one pick from and they're all super melodramatic so it's getting you in that mindset and you pick it and then that becomes your story this is again with the expectation and then Mm -hmm. also it kind of puts you uh and i mentioned this on the last episode a little bit in this the the cultural values of this kind of the, the people who would be in this genre as well where they they again i mean these are some really heightened situations right like Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like my rival knows the bad actions I did to the family of my friend. You know, this like <laughs> is is not a normal situation of like let's say like ancient Chinese people. But again, it's that family is co- continuously at the forefront of a lot of these entanglements. Uh, your parental figures are important. Siblings are important, and because it's a lot of times it would just be a family member you can also say like my uncle or my aunt right Mm. but they are equally as important if you decide to put them into this entanglement and i think that that is brilliant because um it this means that your character should care about both of these uh aspects or both of the people that you've put you've plugged into this uh entanglement uh and and again the family is just as important as um as for example my romantic pursuits which is uh something to help people get into what it's like coming from the perspective of a more collectivist society Mm. where it's yeah yeah, like my clan's needs are my needs and uh or my family's needs are my needs and sometimes that means that i should not uh, i should not be together with someone because it's simply because they are from a different family 
that mm-hmm. doesn't have the same goals as mine, right? Like, so th- these are the kind of things that I think are great for it. And I think last episode, we also talked briefly about what if people are not familiar with this genre or they're not familiar with this cultural background and they're a little intimidated by it, maybe, which is totally fair. Um, mm-hmm. Then I think the entanglements actually does a lot to help people get into that kind of mode of thinking because if you pick this then this is a part of your motivations yeah that makes sense yeah so we already briefly touched on this when lowell talked about um uh the fighting style but how does the process of character creation set a player's expectation for like playing the system I think one of the things is because they're the the stats I don't say oh, this stat is for this this stat is for this you're, you're just kind of putting that limits on there I think that's making clear you're going to choose what you roll you're, you're there's nothing is tightly associated with anything so mm-hmm. uh i think that 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 portion of rules explanation gets across pretty well through that process mm-hmm. and i really like how um there's so much in the character creation process that is fully within your agency to describe uh, all the different names that you come up with, uh, your fighting style, uh, name and description that you come up with, um, all those sorts of things kind of add together to say you're going to be having more agency in this game as you're playing than you will in uh, a lot of other games. There's also the thing that you have to take a romantic entanglement. Yeah. You have to take a general. And you have to take a romantic. And I've had players come in and go, I don't want to have a romantic. I want to be a lone wolf. And I'm like, no. Uh, you know, and, and I have to be the GM that says no. And I say, no, the, the game, this, that's not what this game is about. This game yeah. is about being entangled in these things. And then they're like, oh, okay, I guess so. And then they'll pick a romantic and then their heart gets broken and I love it. Yep. It's, it's hearts if we live for a reason. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Now, every developer's favorite question. Um, what do you think? is the biggest flaw of character creation in this system? Ooh, that's a great question. I have a couple thoughts. Go for it. So one is I love the entanglements. I think they're really great, but they're also very different from other things, and they require a kind of slowdown and collaboration. Um, and because we are cross-cutting a lot of stuff, it is the place where you've got to, you as a GM, you have to slow down and make sure that everyone's on the same page. Mm-hmm. And keep track of that. And it, I, I'd say that's a friction point. I think it, it, think the payoff is so good that I'm willing to take that, that cost for the potential, like, okay, we're, we got to get that figured out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that's a, that, that's the, the, the part of character creation that is, can be challenging for players. Yeah. I noticed when I was going through the entanglements, I was, searching searching i was purposefully waiting to hear what other people were coming up with um so i could i could play off of something uh because since it was so open-ended um there there was parts of it where i thought um i'm kind of putting this agency onto somebody else um so i i wanted to create something a bond uh, an entanglement that um played with somebody instead of you know putting them into a different story that they may or may not want you know uh but the the amount of entanglements that you have uh, allows you to to give you that that sort of flexibility which is really nice i'll say the other thing that i think is actually a flaw 
of some other PBTA games, but especially this this one. Like, so in masks, you really know what you're doing in masks. Like, yeah. you know your teen heroes, you know your superheroes. You've got, and the moves really hone in on that because the genre is kind of narrow. Mm-hmm. Um, Dungeon World, same thing. You know, we know what we're doing here. Genre is pretty narrow. Um, we know what the activity is. Um, because Hearts of Wulin is very broad, we're doing a lot of different things. We're doing romance, and we might be doing intrigue, and we might be doing fighting, and all those things that it means that when you're picking your playbook moves, you may not know exactly how the game is going to go. Mm-hmm. And I always feel like it's a little bit cart before the horse on that, that, that I almost want uh, that I think as an options, if you've played this for a bit, that the GM should say, pick your playbook moves as we go along. Don't pick them now. Pick them mm-hmm. as we play. Um, because you want to have them be useful. And, you know, and that's a different look than going, okay, I want to shape my character and shape my play to what I've chosen in playbook moves. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, so I think that's actually a structural thing for a lot of PBTA games that are broad where I'm like, oh, let's choose our playbook moves later. That's very right. interesting because I always felt like uh, when a when a player chooses playbooks, they're basically signaling that this is what they want for their character and this is what they want for the game. Mm-hmm. And what I do sometimes is I get them to read them all out loud again to me, especially like the triggers for them uh, to me and to each other in case they can't do it themselves and they need someone to put them in that situation. Or for example, there's one uh, about breaking a promise. If someone find if you find out that someone else has broken their promise to you, then you know you get certain things to do with that, and so that one definitely needs a lot of buy-in from everyone else. So I will get them to. Oh keep yeah, reading. you know you're right. Yeah, I'm looking at it from like a purely GM perspective, but I think you're absolutely on the money that 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 is a thing that requires the whole group to be aware of to to help lean into other people's playbook moves. Yeah, That's depending really good point. on it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think when, but kind of along that line, is this similar? I don't know. Is the, I, I segway? What <laughs> oh, <laughs> a bad one. Um, I feel like sometimes if it's not established very clearly at the beginning of the game, uh, what kind of game this is, or if people are coming from very different um, backgrounds of playing, uh, sometimes people would pick moves that they think are more tactically advantageous. And then those are they they're fine moves usually, but if you only pick those, then you'll realize that your moves will not be as interesting when you play because this is not that kind of a game where you need a lot of tactical positioning for mm-hmm. like fights or to investigate situations. Um, so I think I I guess this is just one of those things where we need to have like a GM section for people yeah. to make sure that they tell people. But I'm not sure. Yeah, it's it's uh, the the move that uh, a black loaded that black uh, pedal has uh, about Stormrider being able to be anywhere within line of sight. Yeah, I've seen players who go, "Oh, okay, that'll be great on the battlefield." It's not for that. It's for looking cool. It's for being wherever you want and looking super awesome, <laughs> rather than okay, I'm gonna be able to get here so I can strike at this person. So yeah, I think you're right about that sort of break between tactical and narrative. I think. Yeah, and yeah. It, I guess that's a weakness because uh, because we don't say anywhere, at least right now, that we need to. Yeah, yeah, that this we need to signpost that. By the way, don't don't worry about tact, 
like tactical positioning and also i guess this is for the gms as well like don't mm-hmm. don't focus on that because then mm-hmm. your, your game will really struggle yeah yeah when i looked at that move i thought more about like standing on top of rooftops and like blowing yes. in the wind and things like that um <laughs> and like it it mostly sort of signaled to me when i saw that this was a move that even existed that it's like oh well if this is a thing that characters can do then obviously the sort of minutiae of these sorts of things aren't going to be something that i really need to super keep track of because being able to do any basically go anything go anywhere like fundamentally ignore a whole swath of rules if it was a tactical game um isn't necessarily a thing that most designers would put in their game because it's like oh if it's tactical you're going to want to do these tactics and mm-hmm. so i it felt a little signally to me like like as somebody who's played a lot of different role-playing games as somebody who's played a lot of different tactical games um and a lot of different games that are incredibly untactical um that when i saw it it felt more like an ability that i would see in something like noblest um uh than an ability that i would see in something like pathfinder yeah well we're, we're still working on our line of sight rules of course you know so we'll get all that <laughs> yes of course, of course of <laughs> course yeah line of sight <laughs> well you, you need line of sight to know which of your romantic uh, interests you can see at any time mm-hmm. <laughs> that's brilliant awesome so um hearts of Wolin uses the powered by the apocalypse framework can you tell us what it was like designing a game within this fairly established mechanical system uh, that's another one for me uh, like when I first played uh, Powered by the Apocalypse, I like hacked the game together right away because that's that's what you do. And I, I made up a game and I ran it for Rich Rogers and some people and I was very excited about it. And they were very, very generous about the play. And there were there were a couple of moments that where it actually sang where Rich was like, oh, that worked. You know, I didn't realize his implication was the rest of your the rest of your stuff isn't working. Um, uh, and then when I played other Power by Apocalypse games with Rich and with Jason uh, Cordova and stuff, I was like, oh, I did not get that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you do have to get it. I think it's very easy to look at Power by the Apocalypse and go, oh, yeah, it's just some moves and some stuff. We can figure this out. Da, 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 da. You need to get it. You need to see how it's actually played. You need to see what you need to say, what you need to imply, and what you need to not say. And I think that's that that's challenging, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to cut and cut down to to what you want. Because I cut a lot to get to where this is. Um, and I've played Power of Apocalypse games that I don't think the, the the designers did that. I think they were designers, and I think they had some really good ideas. But I don't think they looked at table play like like I've had to look at table play cause I run five times a week, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, so that's, that's, that's at least been it for me for, for powered by the apocalypse. What, you know, and I hear people say, Oh, you know, too many people hack powered by the apocalypse or whatever, blah, 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 blah. You know, then, then I, I don't think so. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't care if people are, are using the same system over and over again and getting good results. So. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you're making a good game, it's, it's a good system to be making that game in. Yeah, I heard somebody the other week refer to Powered by the Apocalypse as like as like indie D20. <laughs> <laughs> but like there are definite benefits to having that sort of like shared assumption and shared framework that like when I hear something's a Powered by the Apocalypse game, uh, that I'm already sort of primed for certain sorts of play aspects. 
Yeah, and some some designs don't get. I don't want to. I don't want to be. I don't want to be unpleasant. Some some designs haven't gotten what what's actually going on with Power by the Apocalypse, mm-hmm. and then some designs are doing things that I'm like, oh my gosh, how did we get to here? This is wonderful. Like Legacy Life Among the Ruins. I think that what what uh, uh, Jay Isles has done with that is amazing, and I never would have occurred to me. And there's so many cool things going on in there, and I love that. Let me start over again. Yeah, it's powered by the apocalypse, but she's gone in a different direction with that. So, uh, and done something completely new. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of the things I love about powered by the apocalypse that I'm seeing a lot uh, nowadays is the strength it has in emulating certain genres. Um, and like, this is a very uh, specific sort of genre style game. And it, it feels like it, it would emulate it very well. Uh, then you have Passion de las Passiones, very good telenovela simulator, I guess you could call it. Um, then there's the, the worldwide wrestling, which does like uh, amazing stuff with simulating actual in front of the scenes and behind the scenes professional wrestling. Uh, and the list just goes on and on and on. Uh, and it's all powered by the apocalypse. Uh, you can do this in other systems, but it's it's interesting that most of the things that I want to emulate this genre really sing in Powered by the Apocalypse. Yeah, I think where you have a very strong sense of what a genre is and what's involved with it, Powered by the Apocalypse lets you get at those points more easily than maybe other systems might. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I love Fate, but Fate is also... It has implied competency for the characters and certain things like that that are, mm-hmm. are baked in that you have to to change a lot of the dials to to, to move out of. Mm-hmm. Um, and but by the same token, yeah, power, power by the apocalypse. There are certain genres I wouldn't do necessarily. I wouldn't be my first go to for it. Right. Right. Exactly. Okay, Agatha, do you want to say anything? Because I've just been talking like a white dude way too much here. So <laughs> no, I no, I wanted to know what genre you wouldn't do powered by the apocalypse in. Uh, eh. I wouldn't do something that where where the where failure was not a thing. Where we are all about you know characters win, but we have to decide what the the cost is. I I, I don't think I do swashbucklers with powered by the apocalypse. Um, that kind of happy go go lucky thing. I I I don't think I would do that. Okay. Um, that that'd be one that I could could think of. Um, yeah, a Pirates of the Caribbean sort of style swashbuckler thing feels much more like fate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I I I wouldn't do uh anything like uh Tachyon Squadron or anything with like uh space combat or ship combat or tactical stuff. Um. Uh. So those are not things I would do necessarily mm-hmm. with Power by the Apocalypse. Um, Interesting. I think once you introduce like strategic combat in any form, I don't think PBTA really hits that well because it's supposed to be a conversation. Oh, that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. So, um, oh, my co-host Daniel Kwan is writing uh, Ross Rifles, and it's pretty much done, uh, which is a game about. Uh, World War One. One. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> oh, close call. <laughs> um, and, um, and there's a lot of tactical elements to it. I mean, again, not like it's not fully mimetic, but I think mm-hmm. 
that's actually a very interesting observation. Well, I think the tactics of World War One can work for something powered by the apocalypse because, mm. like trenches and things like that, that a lot of it is about like like these sort of like sweeping, like conversationally sort of things about like the different sides and like how are you reacting to the conflict. Yeah, the the watch has you know it has that that process but as as you say it that's kind of all the narrative thing of going out to the field and mm-hmm. we do the battlefield stuff and that's abstracted and then it's more important about what happens when we come back mm-hmm. and when I, I i i think when i'm thinking tactics i'm thinking you draw the battle map you draw how many hexes you are from each other and you know old school wargaming D style games which is you know, perfectly valid of uh, a play style uh, for a lot of people um, doesn't seem to sing too well. It seems like you would be blending a Powered by the Apocalypse game and a combat simulator that's not Powered by the Apocalypse. Mm, right. I'll tell you another thing that another thing that for me, if I were to try to hack it, I wouldn't start with Powered by the Apocalypse is something like Ars Magica or Mage the Ascension, which relies on these wonderful granularities of combinations and details and resource management that that's half the game mm-hmm. is figuring out how I combine these things and get these roots together and, and do all that kind of thing that I, I are important to the feel of the game. Yeah. But aren't what I want to do in PBTA. Interesting. <laughs> all right. Well, how about uh, the setting for this game? Were there particular themes that uh, you wanted to work with or ideas that you wanted to incorporate into uh, into this game? So again, like Lowell mentioned before, uh, the inspiration for this game is a lot of the Wuxia TV shows, um, which are, they used to be around 40 episodes long, and now they are 60 episodes long because they are being sold by the episode. Oh. <laughs> so <laughs> the more episodes, the more money you make uh-huh. as a production company. Um, and the I swear, what are we trying to evoke? Aside from the high melodrama, I think there's, there's certain themes that we like to evoke and which are implied in in the the moves which are there's a lot of i feel like sometimes uh the wuxia genre is is i don't want to say purer or sweeter but i in my mind i like to compare this game to monster hearts which is a lot more about uh, kids being savage with each other and themselves uh, and this game is more a lot of times uh, the struggle is about is from external uh, forces yes you're having inner conflicts but it's about um, external situations that place people who mean to do good or maybe not but have things that they care about and then they have to decide between them so I think that a lot of times ends up what happens in this game would you would you say that's true lol yeah and it's something that you pointed out to me uh related to that is we have pvp as a move in this game Mm -hmm. and it's a separate game we assume that all players are on the same scale that's just bottom line i've had some gms ask well how can a player get to better scale up on another player i go they can't that's not how that works Mm -hmm. dramatically you're all on the same scale because you're all pcs Mm -hmm. when when you get into like a, a legit conflict with another player and not like manipulating them or something, but where like you are wanting to do something or you want to fight them, uh, uh, you know, 
then we go to a PVT move. And what it is is uh, you say, if you let me win this fight, the challenger says this to the, to, to the challengee, if you let me win this fight, I will give you these things. I'll give you my XP. I'll mark a bunch of my elements. Uh, I'll, I'll give you narrative control of how this all looks. Uh, I'll change my entanglement so I'm no longer in love with the person who loves you. Or I'll, I'll, you know, I'll change myself so now I love you. All these things. You make one offer, and the other player has to decide whether they accept that offer and let you win or they say no, in which case, if, if they say no, then you both mark an element. Uh, and the person who's challenged says, okay, I think it's a draw or I think I win. Mm. And it means that when you go to that PVP, you've got to stop and slow down and think about it. And there's a, a risk reward. And, and I was super nervous about this move. Like, it, I was super nervous about it. But boy, has it been fun <laughs> at the table. It. Uh, it's been great. The, the the climax of the 13 session game we did ended with a PvP move, and 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 the 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 challenger convinced the challengee to let them kill them. It was great. Oh wow! It was it was really great. Yeah. So I think yeah. Again, the themes that are associated with the wuxia genre are ideas of justice and ideas of like what does it mean to be just what does it and like power and these are things that are constantly explored in these stories who gets to have power and why do they say they want it and why do they really want it and what is righteousness and because there's a lot of stuff that has to do with reputation in these stories so and we we kind of have that with the factions they're the factions they all have an associated reputation tag if you will so they can be righteous or unrighteous or they can be destroyed so mm -hmm. um that's their rep <laughs> gone um but it's that it, it, so there's a lot of these kind of ideas like and who who are people on the surface versus who are they on the inside and this sometimes manifests literally in terms of people with multiple hidden identities um <laughs> which is always a headache for the gm to keep track of but it's very mm -hmm. fun um mm -hmm. and so i think some these are some of the themes and then tonally it's definitely heightened but i how i like to describe it is that the the PCs or the characters in this story take themselves very seriously. Uh, that doesn't mean that we as players uh, necessarily have to, um, but when you're playing them, they, they, they do. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that explains like melodrama pretty well. So like, they, ridiculous things happen but you're like oh i'm legit really upset that you took off your scarf and now suddenly you're not the person that i thought you were because you look like a completely different actor <laughs> <laughs> and, and instead of being like this ridiculous i'm like but but i thought you were my friend and now you're my enemy and so on and so forth right so that's the mm -hmm. kind of tone you want to evoke and then that we want a kind of player buy-in into and then also themes like just a lot of like the traditional confucius themes of like filial piety <laughs> uh, loyalty uh, who are you loyal to and how much are you willing to sacrifice to maintain that part of yourself because loyalty is not just a virtue but it is a value right mm -hmm. like this is how you view yourself 
is that I am a loyal person. Um, and so, I mean, I don't know how much this actually gets explored in various games, but this is what I hope for, because these are the kind of things that are explored in these stories. Nice. Yeah, so let's sort of pull in a little bit and talk about the group of characters that we just made. Uh, and they're like, cohesion. How do we feel the current group gels together, like mechanically? Uh, would this group, like, do interesting things and fare well in a typical session in the system, do you think? Oh, yeah. And and right away, I want to know how it's going to get revealed to to like perfected fist that uh, uh, set my character seventh century zoo did horrible things and, and killed who zoo thinks was perfected fist's father. Like I am I am all in for that right away. That's oh, yeah. that's the gel. All those entanglements, they are the glue that binds us together because I want answers and I want yeah. them now. Yeah, yeah, I think they'll definitely work. The entanglements, they just kind of, they run the game. And it, does everyone have, like, a particular scene that they would love to see yeah. from, like, for their characters or for any characters? Because I know that for for Xiang uh, Hui, uh, my character, uh, I think the scene that I would definitely try to signal <laughs> to, to the GM is uh, I want a scene with... Uh, Xianghui and Crystal Willow, his sister, because I'm very curious. Like, I, I've established in my mind that there that he loves her, that he loves his sister very much because he loves everyone until proven otherwise. <laughs> and and then to have this conversation, like, oh, like you're married to such an awesome person. This is a great place for like you know inner conflict because ma- married to the the man that he loves, and but then also <laughs> like, but also what is going on with this marriage because he don't seem very um he uh, loyal. <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> so that's the and that's the one. Love. Yeah, that's the one where the fail and the inner conflict would have your sister going. I love him so much. He's the best. He means everything in the world to me. I don't know what I would do if if someone were to, to cause problems in that relationship. <laughs> that would be the fail state on that oh, particular that's really move. good. Oh, yeah. I'm going to remember that for next time. <laughs> yeah. I think if I think about like a scene that I want to see with like Black Petal is I think about just like dealing with black petal and eight petals dancer and like that conflict there um uh about like sort of like struggling with the concept of like falling out of love with someone and uh dramatic makeouts yeah, yeah. <laughs> and someone someone who potentially doesn't want to let go yeah yeah maybe you get pulled back in mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i i want to see uh the scene where um it's revealed that uh that you had something to do with my supposed father's death and because of that i ran back to jade serpent for comfort and that's when they told me that that wasn't my real father oh and i don't know who my real father is wow i would love to see that yeah nice So, so i think with this it's this this means that yes that our characters will definitely um, gel very well in a session even if some of these are more aimed towards uh, NPCs but because they will tie back to each other and who knows who may fail a move at some point uh-huh. <laughs> uh, that means that other NPCs will for sure get tied in and more revelations will happen 
Yeah. I also like that looking at the elements and the spread for like our characters, that each one of us, like across the four of us, somebody has a plus two in any of the ele- in each of the elements. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's nice. Yeah. That's interesting. It doesn't always happen. That's nice. Yeah, yeah. The only duplicates we have are earth and fire. True. And we're the strongest collectively with wood because nobody has a minus one in wood. Yeah. <laughs> That's so which great. I wouldn't which I wouldn't have expected thinking about these characters. Oh, uh-huh. I know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah really I chose I chose plus two for wood because because Shanghai is very curious. Mm-hmm. And I, I chose we'll have to have some growth. <laughs> yeah, I chose plus two for wood for Black Petal because of patience and because while she like is a person who's sort of like happy with where she is, I think she should change. <laughs> mm. Interesting. Nice. Yeah, and I chose plus two for fire because obviously, uh, just his explosive personality and his passion for for his abilities and whatnot. Uh, but then I, I, I chose plus two in earth because fire exploding earth is kind of his uh his whole thing smoldering mm-hmm. crater in the earth yeah. um but the the focus i think and the presence of earth is kind of what he embodies uh you know he's got that unflinching confidence even when going against a a foe that probably he shouldn't he just just walks right up to him yeah i was tempted to put a plus 2 in earth as well and i ended up putting it in metal cuz mm. Like, I didn't really want to play a character who was cautious. I wanted to still play somebody who, like, took their time a lot, um, but who necessarily didn't always, like, was like, oh, well, that's just an acceptable amount of risk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so, like, the the calculation aspect of metal uh, stood out to me. Yeah. That's really cool. I love these characters. Yeah. yeah. I actually, yeah. now that you, Ryan, now that you've said more about Perfective Fist, all I want to see is like, is for Perfective Fist to, to get slammed with inner conflict. And I want to see what that looks like. This uh-huh. person who, like, I want to see this like f- bravado, like, uh, I don't know, uh, crack. And then like see the person underneath and what, what he cares about. Mm-hmm. And what he doesn't want yeah. other people to see. Oh. Yeah. Yes, what's behind? What's behind his swagger? Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, I love that one of my uh, agendas is conceal your truth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. So like this whole outside exterior confidence is pretty much an act to fool everybody else of what's actually happening inside. That's great. I like it. And does he fool himself even? Oh, nice. I love these. I love these people so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I play this. Uh-huh. I, I know I really like characters when I look at this and I go, man, I want horrible things to happen. Oh, to yeah. Them. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You just want all of them to like fall dramatically on their knees in the rain. Yep. Yep. As yep, like blood yeah. and rainwater pours down their face, but oh maybe it's God. tears. I want to now. I want to see a scene where we're in the rain and my character's suffering, and I punch the ground and just create yeah. a bigger and bigger crater. <laughs> I will tell you, when Agatha ran for me the first time, I've actually played as a player. Last time, I literally. When we got to the final scene and Agatha did her hard move on me, I literally shouted out, No! 
Like I couldn't control myself and I had a tear run down my cheek. I was broken. Oh, man. She absolutely did me in, didn't see it coming, and it was great. Yeah. Nice. I didn't see the tear because we were playing online. And, yes. Uh, and, the and I was like, I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So, with again, with this game, I think it doesn't matter what kind of characters you create. They generally, if everyone, if all the players are on the same page in terms of what kind of tone they want to play with, then then they will always gel. That's awesome. So let's talk about the system as a whole then. Um, what do you think about how it plays and how it lends to character development? Not not character advancement, but like how how can people grow within the narrative of this game? I think that's like immediately apparent because yeah. what we were just talking about, like was all about character growth and character change. And like, there's just like very quick priming of all of those different arcs in there. And, and this is something that Agatha like mentioned to me early on when she ran that, that players had a question about and that I ended up rewriting the rules is start a session we look at your entanglements. It used to be just to ta- talk about your entanglements and highlight them. But now we go, where are your entanglements right now? Do we need to rewrite them? Do we mm-hmm. need to change them? Do we need to adjust them? And they ought to be. Every session we stop at the first thing and we say, are those still where you are? Or has has somebody died? Mm-hmm. Has has something changed? And you rewrite them if you need to. Um, and we do that check-in every session. I love that. Um, and... That's that's helped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's that's like on your character sheet. Then mm-hmm. it's not just a story beat. It's a I'm accepting this character's change, and now I'm going to commit it to my actual character sheet, uh, which yes. kind of it has that extra like gravitas to it. I think that 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 feels more permanent. I guess you could say until obviously the next session. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you also said that like advancement and things like that, that you get more like experience and stuff out of doing the highlighted entanglement Mm -hmm. that that also like really like pushes the character towards like engaging with that entanglement. And that probably means that entanglement is going to change. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and um, oh, I was going to say something now I forgot. (laughs) Um, Entanglements. They change. Nah, it's gone. Sorry. <laughs> it's all right. Yeah, like like some other PPTA games. I mean, I love like the relationship questions, like in masks and things like that, but those are very static at the start. They mm-hmm. establish some baseline and then you move away from that. We never go back to to, to relook at them. Um, you know, I, I these these are dynamic changing assets to your character. Mm-hmm. Oh, I do remember now. <laughs> uh, so I, I think one aspect of entanglements and continuously giving people the option to change them also implies that or I would say that it creates a, a sort of implied honesty uh, in the player in terms of how they see their characters. And I think this is sometimes to counteract uh, people who have a tendency to power game and I don't mean statistically power gaming because that's just not very possible in this game but in more like 
narratively power gaming which is that again like what Lowell was saying before people saying i don't want to my character to have romantic entanglement because i don't want my character to be beholden to someone else in that way you know mm-hmm. and to have that power imbalance so sometimes people would be like oh yeah like my entanglement is that i'm in love with them but then when they play it it's just not like that at all or mm-hmm. Like, I feel this way, or I care about uh, the opinion of this person. But when they play it, they just keep dismissing this character, or, uh, like mm-hmm. what they're saying and stuff. So then next time, then the GM or other players can be like, oh, so like last time, you don't seem to say that. So is that even true for your entanglement? Mm-hmm. And then gen- generally, if they if they double down, and then it's like, okay, then then you've made that statement. You've you have to now really role play to that mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. if they're like okay maybe not then they change to something and the next time they do or whatever they change to then they will actually commit to it more in my experience at mm-hmm. least that makes sense cool so uh sounds like we're ready to move on a little bit and get into our advancement discussion segment uh and take it up a level take it up a level take it up a level Alright, so in this segment, we will cover how character advancement, or leveling up, is covered in the system. So how does a character level up in Hearts of Wulin? And what sort of perks are we looking at when that happens? Alright, lol. Um, I can I can talk about how you can get experience. So yes, we do have experience points in this game. Uh, right now, it's out of 8 um, per level. And... I mentioned before they can get experience from in, in tank, hitting your entanglements during session. So there's again the highlighted and the non-highlighted one. Highlighted, if you hit on it, there's three entanglement. I mean, three three experience points, and then the non-highlighted one, you get one experience point. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, it, when you're in game, when you roll uh, inner conflict, you also automatically get one experience out of that. Ooh. Yeah, we, we've kind of added onto that. We've got we got that and we also if you fail your inner conflict role that's the only time you get uh xp on a miss is is for inner conflict oh, so interesting. uh it, it is pushing you to to go for those inner conflict roles mm-hmm. yes and i think because one of one of my characters moves uh gave me experience just for triggering the move oh yeah which is really cool yeah there's 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 a there's there's some things there, I mean there's the classic uh if I can if I if you let me convince you to do something you get an XP mm-hmm. which is a standard and also if you show mercy in combat when you win you get XP. Oh cool. Hmm. Yeah. So so what happens when you have 8 XP? Like what do you get? Uh so uh we've got a very simple set of advancements. It is uh I don't like have any kind of at least right now we don't have a after five you get these super cool things. Mm-hmm. Um at, at least where it stands right now is you can uh uh for for an advance, uh there you can take one advance on each of your of your elements to raise it by one. You can do each of those once. Uh you can take up to I think three more moves from your own playbook. Uh, and, uh, you can take up to two more moves from other people's playbooks. Oh, cool. Um, but not roll moves. Uh, we keep those unique. Um, and then the, as another option, uh, if you want to, you can make up a custom move for your style. Um, mm. uh, like, and I've seen some people use that. That's, that's one, uh, that, that we're still kind of, uh, tweaking, but like, uh, in the game we play with Shang Hu Hustle, uh, uh, co-hosts, uh, they, uh, I think it was Eli, uh, had a staff character and he wanted a character who could deal with more groups of troops 
at the same time so that he could could move around so that he came up with a custom move for his character which gave him the benefit of being able to, to deal with with more more groups hmm. at, uh, at once um, uh, and we have some we, I've seen some other people use it um, but it, it's easier for people to go I want this move uh, or yeah. I want this raise that's cool so then would it be beneficial to have advancement in mind during character creation if you're going yeah. for something specific I don't think so I honestly don't. I think I, yeah. I, 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 it, advancement is fun, but okay, I'm going to tell you the dirty secret that, that Agatha revealed to me when we were talking about the game. She was like, you know what? <laughs> Sometimes people go for their playbook moves, but more often they are just, we are, we are just running off the basic moves. Yeah. Um, it, it is very easy for you to play and have fun and get by and then go, oh, yeah, you know, I've got these playbook moves. They're cool. Um, yeah. but, but you can, we will get rolling. And just have a great time, uh, uh, just on the basic moves. Um, yeah, the, the the playbook moves are awesome, but but they are they are icing on top of the cake. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, most games out there, especially PBTA games, uh, you're generally playing to figure out where you're going with your character, mm-hmm. and you don't have to plot out. I need this by the time I get to this level so I can take this other cool thing. Yes. Which is which is really nice when you're trying to just just play a uh I don't want to say casual game, mm-hmm. but uh a game that's not so crunchy. Yeah, I think the only exception to that in PBTA that I've ever seen is the Mortal in uh, uh Monster Hearts. That a lot of like the Mortal is about like one of the one of the ways you can definitely play that playbook is by leveraging its ability to take lots of moves from other playbooks mm-hmm. and having the sort of story of the character be about like discovering or becoming more monstrous um, uh, with that game's definition of monster. Yeah. It's fun though, to just sort of go, eh, my character is going to go places. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's, let's roll. I, I can definitely see in gameplay uh, for this game, as you're getting closer and closer to that level up and you know, you're going to be taking a move. Or, or something um, that you can you'll start thinking about like well what's my character been doing and what sort of cool moves enhances that experience that this character is working with in the game yes um, so I can see that but uh, definitely not during character creation right cool I I think that's it I think okay. we, I think we talked about your game <laughs> that is yeah. awesome I love these characters too uh-huh yeah, well, this has been so much fun. Uh, Agatha and Lowell, uh, thank you both so much for joining us to talk about Hearts of Wulin, uh and doing character creation with us. Uh, Lowell, could you go ahead and remind everyone where they can find you and what sort of cool things you're working on? Uh, so uh, I'm part of the, the, the Gauntlet Gaming community. I can be found there. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at edige 23 um also if you're interested in actual play videos of hearts of wulin and uh like a hundred other games uh you can check out my youtube channel uh and see lots and lots of uh actual plays like this month it's all tales from the loop and thanks from the flood and uh all kinds of good stuff so i record three games a week nice. so that's up there awesome and agatha how about yourself 
I am the co-host again of Asians Represent. So basically any way to get in contact with me is through social media of Asians Represent. That's at AZNS Represent on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And you can also email us at AZNS Represent at OneShotPodcast.com. Um, I am also working, uh, I'm going to be contributing to the One Child's Heart uh, Kickstarter. I'm writing a, a, a scenario, if you will, maybe a ch- child, <laughs> I believe is how that works. <laughs> it sounds really weird when put that way. So yeah, you can go check it. I don't know if the Kickstarter will still be going on when this episode goes up, but it's a cool game. So regardless, you should check it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Camden put together something really kind of special there. Uh, and I'm uh, really looking forward to seeing how that all pans out. Yeah. And our Kickstarter, our target date right now is May 7th. That may or may, that's probably, uh, if it's on, you can go and check us on Kickstarter. Um, we, will, we, we will have available some kind of play packet for players. Uh, we have a, a preliminary play test packet right now that has like fully complete, you can run from, no problem. Um, and we're going to be working that to a quick start version as well. Very cool. Yeah, and we will have links in the show notes to all of that uh, in case you want to get to it uh, fairly easily. So uh, thank you both again for joining mm-hmm. us. And thank you to everybody that is listening right now. Uh, we will see you again next week for our next Character Evolution Cast episode. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Character Creation Cast is a production of the One Shot Podcast Network and can be found online at www.charactercreationcast.com. Head to the website to get more information on our hosts and guests, or even some of our character sheets. Character Creation Cast can be found on Twitter at CreationCast. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Bolter, and I can be found on Twitter at Lord Neptune. Our other host, Amelia Antrim, can be found on Twitter at Ginger Reckoning. Music for this episode is used with a Creative Commons license or with permission from the podcast they originated from. Further information can be found within the show notes. Our main theme music is Hero Remix by Steve Combs and is used with a Creative Commons license. This podcast is owned by us under Creative Commons. This episode was edited by Ryan Bolter. Further information for the game systems used and today's guests can also be found in the show notes. If you like the systems discussed and wish to purchase them, links to the products can be found in the show notes. Also, check the notes or the website for cool stuff to go with each character, such as dice or mixtapes. Thanks for joining us, and remember, we find that the best part of any role-playing game is character creation. So go out there and create some amazing people. We will see you next time.
gotta read some show blurbs. Show blurbs. Show blurbs. Show blurbs. Show blurbs. Character Creation Cast is hosted by the One Shot Podcast Network. If you enjoyed our show, visit OneShotPodcast.com, where you'll find other great shows like System Mastery. System Mastery is a delightful stroll through the history of role-playing games. Except the games are terrible, and the hosts are real jerks about everything. Join hosts Jeff and John as they explore the weirdest games ever made to talk about what worked, what went wrong, and which Silverhawk was the best. It was Hot Wing, don't even add us. Find their shows at SystemMasteryPodcast.com or OneShotPodcast.com. Finally. Design Doc started as a podcast about designing a role-playing game. Over the years, it's turned into so much more. It's a show about the challenges of burnout, making money from creative projects, and what goes into bringing a game to life. Come along with Hannah and Evan in a living documentation of the game design process. One review described it as the audio equivalent of taking a hike with a good friend. You can search for Design Doc on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.